Hebrews chapter 8. Uh, we're going to read verse 1 to verse 6. Hebrews 8, 1 to 6. Here is what the author of Hebrews said. Now, this is the main point of the things which we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens and a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also, that's Jesus, has something to offer. For if he was on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve the priests who offer according to the law, who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle, for he said, See that you make all things according to the pattern um, shown to you on the mountain. Verse 6, But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, inasmuch as he is a mediator of a better covenant, that was established on better promises. Can we read verse 6 all together one more time? Talking about Christ. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry in as much as he is also mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. How many times is better you feel like it's in this verse or, or excellent or something better than something? Three times, right? Better ministry, better covenant, and better promises. Amen? So, uh, we've been talking now about the book of Hebrews for 32 weeks, and we have arrived to chapter 8. Again, the point of that book is, the author of Hebrews wrote that book to people who were Jews at some point, and then they became Christian, and now they want to go back to Judaism. So, the author of Hebrews wrote that book to uh, sternly, sternly warned them never to ever consider going back to Judaism, never to abandon Christ. And he spent pretty much the, the pretty much most of the first ten chapters, with the exception of the last part of chapter ten, arguing the supremacy of Christ, how Jesus is superior than all the elements of the Old Testament. And for the last thirty-two weeks, we have seen that the author of Hebrews argued that Jesus is superior to the prophets, right? And that he's superior to angels. That was almost the whole chapter 1 and the whole chapter 2. We have seen in chapter 3 and 4 that Jesus is superior to Moses. And all the way from chapter 5 verse 1 all the way till almost the end of chapter 10. He's arguing that Jesus is superior to Aaron. Who's Aaron? He is Moses' brother. And he was the first high priest in the Old Testament, right? And as we said before, the high priest in the Old Testament was the middleman. His point, his job is to atone, to cover for the sins of man so they can come close to God. And he also is the one who's ministering the law of God, the commandment of God to man. Amen? So pretty much the, the high priest in the Old Testament is the one who mediates salvation, who mediates um, the relationship between a holy God and a sinful man. 
Now, the author of Hebrews said, just as Aaron was a high priest in the Old Testament, Jesus also is our high priest in the New Testament. He's the one who brings God's law and God's commandment and God's heart to sinful men. And in the same way, he's the one who atone, who cover, who, who provides salvation for the sins of man to bring them closer to God. In chapter 5, 6, and 7, we have seen that Jesus is a superior high priest. The person of Jesus is superior than the person of Aaron, right? That's what we have seen for the last uh, five, six weeks. Obviously, in the middle of that portion of chapter 5 and chapter 6 is just a stern warning. He talk, took a, a break and started warning the people never to consider going back to Judaism. Now, chapter 8, 9, and 10, which we have arrived to, and we're going to spend the next few weeks talking about that. Now, he's talking about the ministry of Aaron versus the ministry of Christ. Amen? So he's not talking about the person anymore. He's talking about the ministry of Aaron versus the ministry of Christ. And the author of Hebrews argued that Jesus, as our high priest, has a superior priesthood in that he has a better sanctuary than that of Aaron. He has a better covenant, or he brought in a better covenant than that of Aaron. He has a better ministry. His, his priesthood, what he does, is better than that of Aaron, and that's in chapter 9. And then in chapter 10, he said that Jesus, as a high priest, brought in a better sacrifice than that of Aaron. Amen? So today, we're going to just stop at the first part, how Jesus has a superior priesthood because his sanctuary where he ministered is better than the sanctuary where Aaron has ministered. Verse 1 and 2, we, this is kind of like the connection now. We have seen that. The author of Hebrews, every time he transitions between ideas, he has that verse or two that serves as a link between what preceded and what is coming. And that's what we see here in verse 1 and 2. He said this in verse 1. Now, this is the main point of the things we are saying. What is he talking about? The things we are saying is backward chapter 5, 6, and 7. Jesus is a superior high priest. So he's saying here is the bottom line of the things that we have said. We have such a high priest. Remember that? He said that in chapter 7, verse 26. For such a high priest was fitting for us, right? And even if you go back to chapter 4, he said, We have such a high priest, such a great high priest, who has passed through the heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. So he's looking backward now on the greatness of our high priest. And then now he's moving forward and said, Who is seated at the right hand of majesty in heaven, a minister of the sanctuary. Now he starts bringing the ministry of Christ as our high priest, which he pretty much discussed for the rest of chapter 8, chapter 9, and chapter 10. Do you see that? So this verse 1 and 2 is pretty much the link that links his thoughts between what he has said to what he's going to say. And this is how he described our great high priest. He said, he is seated at the right hand of majesty on high, or the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven. But the first description is that Jesus is standing, or he is seated? Seated, seated right? It doesn't say that our high priest is standing, our high priest is seated. What is the point here that the author of Hebrews is telling us? We're going to talk about that more in depth in chapter 10, but... In the 
sanctuary, in the Old Testament tabernacle, you can find tables, you can find columns, you can find all sorts of furnitures, but you can never find a chair, right? Because the priest of the Old Testament has to stand up continually before God to continue offer sacrifices. Because his sacrifice is not complete, it's not perfect, doesn't cover sins. That's why the ministers of the Old Testament, the high priest of the Old Testament, has to stand constantly before God in the tabernacle. Amen? But because Jesus offered a perfect and complete sacrifice, he doesn't need to offer another one. That's why he is a seated at the right hand of the majesty of the throne of God on high. When the author of Hebrews say that Jesus is seated at the right hand of majesty, obviously he's reflecting back on something he already mentioned even in chapter 1, when he said, you know, sit at my right hand, from Psalm 110 verse 1, now verse 4, verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Amen? So, the author of Hebrews here is reflecting on that. Psalm 110 verse 1. When the father told the son, sit at my right hand till your enemies become your footstool. He, he, he quoted that already in chapter 1. You remember? Of whom of the angel he said, sit at my right hand till I put your enemies your footstool. So he's reflecting back on Psalm 110. But also he's trying to emphasize the perfection and the completeness of the sacrifice of Christ that he doesn't have to offer any more sacrifices, that he is uh, seated. Amen? But he's also seated at the right hand of majesty, the right hand of the throne of God. Obviously, that's not a literal thing, right? God doesn't have a right hand and a left hand. But the point of Jesus being seated at the right hand, this is a place of honor. This is a place of, of, of exaltation. This is the right hand of God. It's not that God has two hands, literally one is the right and one is the left. But the idea here is that Jesus has been exalted to the very highest place of all at the very right hand of God. Amen? We see that even in the Old Testament. I'll tell you a story. Um, in 1 Kings 2.19, when, when David died and his son Solomon uh, became king, right? You guys remember that? Um, the firstborn of David, uh, what's his name, Adonijah, I think. Adonijah wanted to marry, um, uh, if you remember all these names, Abishag, the Shunammite, I guess, which was the one that was attending to David before he died. And um, so Adonijah, the firstborn of David, went to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon. Are you guys confused yet? You, you remember all these names? Bathsheba, the mother of, uh, of Solomon, who's now king, so she can go to the king and ask that uh, Adonijah would actually marry uh, Abishag. But then when, when, when Bathsheba went to King Solomon, the Bible said that King Solomon stood up and he seated her at his right hand. Like where he sits on the throne, he made his mother to sit right next to him at the right hand. Obviously, by putting, sleeting his mother at the right hand, King Solomon was exalting his mom, was lifting his up, her up. He was just putting her in a place of honor. You guys are with me? And the list goes on and on and on in the Old Testament of examples of how the right hand in the scripture is usually a reference to a place of honor, a place of exaltation, a place of majesty. And that's where Jesus is seated. Amen? Paul said the same thing in, in Philippians chapter 2. He said, after Jesus humbled himself to the cross, God therefore has lifted him up to the highest place. Jesus was lifted to the highest of places because he, he lowered himself to go to the cross. Amen? 
So Jesus was seated, and he was seated at the right hand of the throne of, of God, of majesty, in the heavens. And then verse 2 start by saying this, a minister of the sanctuary, a minister of the sanctuary. Now, the Greek word for minister that, that Paul used here is very similar, almost identical in meaning of the word high priest. But there is still a difference between these two words. The word minister here implies activity. Somebody is doing something ministering to others. Are you guys with me? The high priest more implies a position, but the word that Paul used here implies activity, function, work. As a matter of fact, that's the exact same word that the author of Hebrews used, I think in chapter 1, the very last verse of chapter 1, when he talks about the angel, he said, aren't they all ministering spirits to those who will inherit salvation, right? It's the exact same word that the author of Hebrews used to describe the angels he's using here to describe Christ. He is working as of now he's functioning as of now he's doing activities as of now he's the minister of the sanctuary the new sanctuary of the new covenant but wait a minute didn't the author of hebrew just said that jesus is seated is he working or is he resting which one is it right well he's both He's seated in terms of his, of his sacrifice, in terms of his salvation, atoning for our sin, providing a price for our sin. In these terms, he is seated because the sacrifice he offered is perfect and complete, and he doesn't need to offer anything else. Amen? But the fact that his sacrifice was perfect doesn't mean that Jesus is idle now at the right hand of majesty on high, right? We just read about him in chapter 7, that he lives forever doing what? making intercession to those who come to God through him. So yes, he is seated in terms of his atoning for our sin, paying for our sin, but he's still ministering, he's still working even as of today in terms of completing our salvation till the day that we actually enter into heaven and be with him. Amen? Amen. So Jesus who's seated at the right hand of majesty on high as a minister of the sanctuary. And then it described this, the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected and not man. Obviously, he's talking here about heaven itself, right? Because that's where Jesus went. Multiple times before we see that he was lifted up all the way through the heaven or above the heavens. And that sanctuary that the scripture described it as true versus not true versus the false sanctuary versus the shadow, which is the earthly tabernacle. And this sanctuary was erected by the Lord himself versus the earthly sanctuary that Moses erected and not God. Amen? Verse 3, it says this. Um, verse 3, for every high priest is appointed to offer both sacrifices, both gifts and sacrifices. The author of Hebrews already kind of touched base about that in chapter 5, verse 1, if you guys remember, when he said that, when he was comparing Jesus to Aaron, and that we said there was both similarities and differences, and the similarities is that the high priest of the Old Testament will sacrifice, will offer sacrifices and gifts for sins. That's what he said in chapter 5, verse 1. Here he just plainly says gifts and sacrifices, and he omits the words for sin. 
Because in his mind, it's kind of implied that all the point of the sacrifices and the gifts that the Old Testament high priest will sacrifice will offer is primarily of the purpose of atoning of sin. Amen? For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary for this one to have something to offer. If Jesus is going to be a high priest, just like the high priest of the Old Testament, he also has, has to have something to offer. But the very cool thing is this. How many times the word offer was mentioned here in verse 3? Let's look at it. Let's read verse 3 again. Um, For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary for this one that he has something to offer. How many times the word offer is mentioned here? Two, right? Twice. One regarding the Old Testament high priest and one regarding Jesus, our high priest. And even though it's in English, in English it's the same, but in Greek it is not. The first one, when it talks about the high priest, the, uh, the author of Hebrews used the present tense, i.e. continuing to offer. But when he spoke about Jesus, he used the past, erst tense. Something has already been done once and for all in the past. You guys are with me? So even though in English it's the same, but in Greek it is not. Because the author of Hebrews is still trying to emphasize to us the point that Jesus, after he offered this one sacrifice, he was seated and rested, and he doesn't need to offer any more sacrifices anymore. His sacrifice was complete. It's a once in a lifetime, once upon the time, once and for all sacrifice. Amen? Now, the author of Hebrews move on now to verse 4, 5, and 6. And he's telling us why Jesus, as our high priest, needed a new sanctuary. It it could not be possible that he could serve in the sanctuary, the earthly sanctuary, where uh, Aaron was ministering. And in these three verses, he's given us three reasons why Jesus must have had a different and a new sanctuary other than the sanctuary that Aaron used. The first reason we see, so verse 4, 5, and 6, each one of these verses is a reason why Jesus needed a new sanctuary. In verse 4, we see that Jesus needed a new sanctuary because the first sanctuary was earthly. It wasn't really heavenly one. Let's read verse 4 together. Here is what the author of Hebrews said. For if he were on earth, he would not have been a priest, uh, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law. Why did Jesus need a new sanctuary? Because the first sanctuary was earthly. It has its own rules. And if uh, these rules don't apply to Christ, what I'm trying to say is this. According to the law of the Old Testament, every high priest should be out of the tribe of Levi, right? He already mentioned that in chapter 7, right? Did Jesus come from the tribe of Levi? No, he came from the tribe of Judah. So could Jesus, just by the very merits of his birth and that he was born from the tribe of Judah, could he have ministered in that earthly tabernacle anyways? That's why he needed a new one. Because the law and the, the rules of that old tabernacle does not apply to Jesus, doesn't work for Jesus. He can't even do it if he wants to. You guys are with me? That's what he's saying here in verse 4. For if he was on earth during his earthly life, he would not be a priest because he's not qualified. Because he's from the tribe of Judah, not from the tribe of Levi, right? 
he would have not been qualified to minister in that tabernacle. And that's why Jesus needed a new sanctuary, a different sanctuary, a better sanctuary, because the first sanctuary was earthly, and the rules of that sanctuary does not apply to Christ, does not fit Christ. Amen? The second reason why Jesus needed a new sanctuary, a better sanctuary, is that the Old Testament sanctuary was just a picture, was just a type, was just a shadow of the real thing, right? That's why he said in verse 5, talking about the Old Testament high priest, who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things. So that Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said to him, God said to him, See that you make all things according to the model, the pattern shown to you on the mountain. How is the author of Hebrews described the Old Testament sanctuary here? He said it is a copy and a shadow, right? It's a shadow of the things to come. Now, have you ever seen your shadow when you walk in the sun? question. Which one is real? You or your shadow? You. Your shadow. Does your shadow has any life in it? Does your shadow has any substance or any reality in it? No, right? It can look like you when you look at it, but the fact of the matter is the shadow has no life, no substance in it. You guys are with me? That's why Jesus, if he got to perform real salvation, he needed a real sanctuary because the, or the, the original sanctuary was just a shadow, has no life in it, has no substance in it. Amen? Amen? And then it says that this shadow was also a pattern. And this is a very interesting word that um, actually the rest of that verse is a quote from Exodus 25 when God told Moses, see that you make all things according to that pattern that was shown to you. On the mountain. This is such an interesting word, and I'm not sure what exactly it means. Did God show Moses an actual model, like an actual physical building that he needed to have it as a model, or he just showed him that the footprint of how it looks like? It's it's very interesting verse. Um, this is what the Septuagint used, and this is what the author of Hebrews is saying. He's quoting it for verbatim, but. What does it mean? I don't know. But it would be interesting if God actually showed Moses some sort of building and say, do something like this. The case is, whether it's an actual building or a footprint, the point is, Moses was divinely instructed by God with the exact same dimension, how everything needs to be built in that tabernacle, because it's a picture, a shadow of the real, genuine sanctuary that Jesus will minister in. Amen? So Jesus uh, needed a new sanctuary. He could have not ministered in the old one. Number one, because it's earthly, and the rules of that sanctuary doesn't apply to Jesus. Number two, because it wasn't real. It was just a type. It was just a shadow. And number three, because it was inferior. And that's what we, said in, we see here in verse 6. The author of Hebrews says this. Verse 6, but now he has obtained a more excellent ministry in as much as a mediator of a better covenant which has been established um, on a better promises. Jesus has a more excellent ministry and part of the reason why his priesthood is greater than that of Aaron is that where Jesus ministered is greater than where Aaron was ministering. You guys are with me? Aaron actually ministered in a place that is a shadow, right? A copy, right? But where did Jesus minister? He's ministering into heaven itself, the actual presence of God. The description, let's go back to verse 2. How the author of Hebrews described that it is a, he's a minister, minister of the sanctuary and of the true 
tabernacle, the real deal, the true tabernacle, which was erected not by man, but by the Lord himself. Amen? That's why Jesus could not have served in that earthly tabernacle because it is inferior than the heavenly tabernacle, which he's right now at the right hand of God in that heaven, in that sanctuary, ministering on our behalf. Let's just recap here. We're going to highlight three reasons why Jesus has a more excellent ministry than that of Aaron. Number one, because his ministry is heavenly. Jesus ministered into heaven unlike Moses who ministered or Aaron who ministered on earth. That was a picture of the presence of God, the heaven where God dwells. Jesus did not minister into an earthly picture shadow, but Jesus ministered into the actual heaven, the actual presence of God. Number two, Jesus' sanctuary is superior. His ministry is superior because it's real. Unlike the Old Testament shadow that has no life in it, Jesus actually ministered in the real tabernacle. Therefore, he's providing real salvation. You guys are with me? The Old Testament high priest will serve in a shadow, a lifeless, unsubstantiated uh, place. Therefore, his salvation wasn't even real. He served in a place that is a type of heaven, and all that he provided is a type of the salvation that God has for his people. Amen? But Jesus, because he ministered in the real tabernacle, he provides a real salvation. Number three, Jesus' sanctuary is superior. This that, That's why he has a more excellent ministry, because heaven is superior but the earthly place where moses was ministering is inferior it is is far much lower that's why jesus has a more excellent ministry because his sanctuary is far more superior amen how many of you guys would agree that heaven is far more superior than a tent that was built with with linen and pillars in the middle of the desert amen Amen. That's how much is the ministry of Christ greater than that of Aaron. Jesus did not minister in a place that was built with linen, uh, ropes, and, and some, uh, you know, cloth. Jesus is ministering where God himself is in his very own real sanctuary. Amen. The last thing he says here is this. Therefore, in verse 6, but now he has obtained a more excellent ministry in as much as he is also a mediator of a better covenant that was established on better promises. We have seen before that Jesus was guarantor, right? We talked about this word multiple times. Like the one who's legally obligated to fulfill the terms of the covenant. This is not what the author of Hebrews is saying here. He's saying that Jesus is not only the guarantor, he's also the mediator. He's the broker. You guys are with me? You know when two parties are trying to, um, like even in, in history when um, Israel and Palestine, I'm from Egypt, so I'll use that example. Israel and Palestine trying to have that peace treaty and then America steps in in the middle or Egypt, my home country, steps in in the middle and try to break that deal, try to bring the Israelis and Palestines together and trying to find out the middle ground that works for both of them. You guys are with me? That's the broker of the deal. That's the mediator who tried to make the deal works. And that's precisely what the author of Hebrews is saying here. Jesus is the mediator of that new covenant, of that better covenant, to bring God, holy God, and sinful men together in that new relationship, in that new covenant. Amen? Jesus is a mediator. Just like Moses was a mediator of the Old Testament covenant, Jesus is the mediator of the New Testament covenant, which is far much better than that of the Old Testament. Why? 
Why he says here it's a better covenant? Because the new covenant provided real forgiveness of sin. You guys are with me? The Old Testament, the Old Testament covenant never provided real forgiveness of sin. It's all just shadows and types. And here is what you need to do. Somebody needs to die for you, but they don't know who that is. Jesus came, provided that better covenant because he has, um, he has provided real forgiveness. That's why it's a better covenant. And it was established on a better promises. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. That new covenant and the promises in that new covenant and how that is far much better than the Old Testament, the Old Covenant and the promises of the Old Covenant. Amen? Amen. So in chapter 8 verse 7 to verse 13, we're going to start that next week. That is the better covenant that was established on better promises. Amen? Amen. Let's close our eyes and pray.